Undercurrents, the hidden knowledge of groundwater, a production of the University of Wisconsin Water Resources Institute. Damage Control, Part 2, Novelty. Hello, hello, hello. This is Dr. Chris once more. I'm so glad you're back. I've missed you. Novelty is one of those useful English words that has several meanings with differing shades of nuance. I rated Merriam-Webster's dictionary to round some of these up for you. A novelty can be a trinket that you bring home from an amusement park, a clever little ice cream treat, or even a silly song. Popsicle, one nickel, two for a dime. He swings as he goes on his way. Tony's for money, the ice cream man. Okay, so far so good. Who doesn't like ice cream? But novelty can also mean anything that is new and or unusual. In the arts or technology, this is generally also considered to be quite swell. People enjoy flaunting the latest fashion, showing off a trick new gadget, or discovering a great band before anybody else does. But when it comes to the environment, novelty loses its golden glow and takes on a more ominous hue. Resource managers can effectively plan for known risks. They even learn to expect some surprises, but how can you plan for the unexpected? As we learned in the last episode, many groundwater contamination issues are legacy problems, environmental sins of the past that end up having to be handled long after the initial events responsible for the difficulty. Novelty groundwater problems pose a sneaky flip side to legacy issues and can be doubly hard to deal with. Simply identifying the source of the contamination can take valuable time in a crisis situation. Fortunately, we've figured out a few things regarding contaminant transport, I told you about that last episode, that makes this problem somewhat easier to understand. It can get complicated, but two basic ideas will get you through this. One is that contaminants tend to move in the same direction and at the same speed as the groundwater. This is known as advection to the chemistry wonks among us. But hey, even if advection is the only process involved, variations in hydraulic gradient and hydraulic conductivity underground can make estimating contaminant transport problematic. The second process you need to know about, and our second $20 word for today, is dispersion. This refers to the mechanical dispersion of the contaminant as it physically spreads out from the point source of the pollution in an aquifer in what is called a contaminant plume. This is in part determined by the permeability and the porosity variables within an aquifer, along with a bit of molecular diffusion, but we don't have time to get into all that here. Let's just say predicting groundwater contaminant movement is nearly always a tricky business. The combination of wide uneven dispersion and slow or differing advection speeds can often make contamination problems hard to detect in groundwater until they've already reached a critical stage. 
Sometimes, however, new knowledge moves the goalposts for water supply systems already in place, as you'll soon learn, and then novelty can be something of a different beast altogether. Now let's pick up where we left off last episode. In the summer of 2016, I traveled on assignment to Colorado to investigate some unfolding groundwater contamination stories. One of these involved something that has only recently been recognized as a health concern, a group of related man-made chemicals known as perfluorinated compounds, which are usually referred to using the acronym PFCs. At the time of this interview, after several months of hurried study, the contaminant source had been tentatively identified. However, through the usual transport mechanisms of advection and dispersion, the contaminant had spread far from the suspected source, concentrating at unsafe levels in the groundwater of the Fountain Creek watershed south of Colorado Springs. I knew this had impacted a friend of mine who lives in the area, so I drove down to find out what was happening for myself. I am now as we speak, sitting in a kitchen in, where are we? Security, Colorado. At the home of Kevin Waybright. First, let's say hi to Kevin. Hi, Kevin. Hello, Dr. Chris. Kevin is a friend of mine. We have rocked hard at different moments in the past, but our connection, I should stress, is musical before this time, not scientific. Editor's note, Kevin plays bass. He's really good. That's us jamming. He just happens to live here, and he mentioned to me that there was a groundwater issue just a month or so ago before this became nationally known. It was covered in the New York Times just yesterday. Were you aware of that? We've made the big time. No, I wasn't. Could you tell us in your own words what the story is? As I understand it, starting several months ago, there was notification that there was a small amount of contamination in three of the 30-something wells that serve this area, these communities. They bypassed those wells, the water districts, until they figured out where the contamination was coming from. That changed, I believe, in May, and it became clear that all the wells that supplement the groundwater use in our area were contaminated, and it appears as if the contamination was due to firefighting materials or foam used at nearby Peterson Air Force Base, where there's uh, obviously a lot of that kind of training and, and so on that goes on. So that's what I know and understand it to be. This struck me as a story of unintended consequences. Certainly, the people at Peterson Air Force Base are first responders for any fires that might happen at Colorado Springs Airport. I'm going to say that's probably important to you, that if you're in a plane and it catches on fire, that it gets put out fairly rapidly. Not important just to me, but probably the people on the planes as well. Yeah, because they used these particular chemicals, and it's my understanding from some of the research I've done, that they have begun in the last decade to start phasing out the perfluorinated compounds. But it's only in the last couple of years, right, that they've felt that this was something they needed to to monitor. The last couple of years, I'm not sure about that. I know that the EPA did not include that as part of what they required districts to monitor. I don't know when or why the change came about. This is about as good a time as any to learn a little bit more about the protagonists in our story. 
Perfluorinated compounds, also known as perfluoroalkyls, have been used in a range of industrial and consumer products since the 1950s. PFCs proved useful for nonstick pans and food packaging, stain protection in fabric and carpet, and in some types of firefighting foam. The two most studied PFCs are PFOS, perfluorooctane sulfonate, and PFOA, perfluorooctanoic acid. Ugh. Even burned food won't stick to Teflon, so it's always easy to clean. Good thing it's Teflon. The problem here is that PFCs do not naturally degrade in the environment. Look, this is bacteria's planet. We just live here. Everything that existed before modern industry came on the scene has some sort of bacteria somewhere that has evolved to live in or off of it. But over the past century or so, humans have crafted unusual chemical compounds and entirely new substances like plastics, which are formed by stringing long strains of hydrocarbons together. The linkage of atoms of the same element into longer chains is known as catenation, and this occurs most readily in carbon. All this presents a headache for bacteria as they haven't figured out how to break these things down yet, so plastics and PFCs can persist in ecosystems for a long time. PFCs are currently being phased out around the world because a growing body of epidemiological evidence has linked them to cancer, birth defects, heart disease, and weaker immune systems. In 2009, the EPA issued provisional exposure limits, but new studies were suggesting that hazardous levels were far lower than previously thought. On May 19, 2016, under mounting public pressure, the EPA issued new stricter recommendations for allowable levels of PFCs. Hence PFC's relative novelty as a contaminant of concern. Back to our story. So when did this first come to your attention? February. I wasn't concerned because, as I said, it was three wells. They discontinued use of those wells. From an abundance of caution is the quote that they used in shutting down these wells. And I have no reason to doubt that. So in May, when it became clear that everything, all the wells that we use were contaminated and they issued the warnings, especially for nursing mothers, the very young should not be drinking it. If it's bad enough for them, it's bad enough for me. So that's when the bottled water came out. I'm sure listeners are curious about what you've done because they're thinking, what would I do? Bottled water to cook and bottled water to drink. I am not clear or concerned yet anyway about any of the effects from bathing in it. From what I understand, it's a cumulative effect, and I don't think that anything other than ingesting it would be a risk, but I don't know. As I get older, I tend not to care as much about that for myself. <laughs> and I should point out that Kevin and I, being old mates, we have poured a pair of gin and tonics. It's a hot summer afternoon, and it occurred to us as we were drinking them that these ice cubes are, how are the ice cubes made? With unfiltered water. So we are sampling some of these PFCs as we speak. Mmm, something. It just came out in the past couple weeks that the Air Force has volunteered to pitch in over $4 million to help residents in the different areas. And I should point out, we have a map. 
Of the three zones, there are three towns, Security, Widefield, and Fountain, just south of Colorado Springs, Colorado. We are in security. There are three zones of increasing contamination. Now, interestingly, we are in zone one, so our ice cubes are at maximum parts per trillion for PFCs. No! Zone one is closer to... Fountain Creek. Fountain Creek. Your house in Zone 1 is closer to Fountain Creek than it is to Peterson Air Force Base. We're also downhill from Peterson Air Force Base. We're in a fairly low spot here, so my assumption is that the valley funnels everything from all around us. And that's why you see a concentration. The Air Force has offered to put in reverse osmosis filters that should take out PFCs. Are you happy with the government response. From the time that it was announced that all the wells were contaminated until it's been a little bit less than two months, they more or less volunteered to head things off at the pass and start working on an interim solution, I feel is logical and I think appropriate and I have no problem with it at all. That's nice to hear considering situations in other parts of the country that will go unmentioned. What was the telltale that made Peterson Air Force Base step up to the plate though. I don't know what the telltale was. I do know that there was a smoking gun that said this is probably what it was that came about fairly quickly after the contamination was announced. There was no flat denial. There was no adversarial statement from Peterson Field. And I don't know. It may be because it was more of a local decision in the community in terms of the Air Force. I imagine if it had gone all the way to the top, maybe it wouldn't have been as quick a response or as generous a response. I don't know. I have no idea how it worked. I found out about this. Here's Mark Carell, a Deputy Assistant Secretary for Environment, Safety and Infrastructure for the Air Force, visiting Peterson Air Force Base in November 2016. The Air Force is probably the largest user because of the nature of our business with aircraft of firefighting foam to a lesser extent the Navy and a much lesser extent the Army. And so this is a very large deal for us and we take it very seriously. Defense Department officials have identified about 2,000 sites of possible contamination across the country, most of them on Air Force bases. All of the handful of bases that the Air Force has examined so far have had higher than recommended levels of PFCs in the local drinking water. As of 2016, the Air Force had spent $137 million to assess this problem and several million more to treat water systems and provide alternate drinking water sources. Mr. Carell is on record as saying, quote, this has focus at the absolute highest level of the Air Force. We're addressing it aggressively. The Air Force will take responsibility for its actions, end quote. Are many of your neighbors in the military? This community is home to a lot. My community security, maybe not as many as farther south in Fountain, where there are a lot of Army personnel. Fort Carson is a huge community down there. Yes. Here would probably be more retired security in Widefield. What is your take coming away from this as a homeowner? Are you pleased? Are you upset? Are you... That's kind of how it goes. Water in the West is always going to be a problem. I'm grateful that we have water. We were in a drought for years. The fact that we have water and have the ability to treat it leaves me optimistic. Not being a parent, not having small kids, not being a nursing mother, they had probably stronger concerns than I do. But me personally, I think everything has been appropriate to this point, and I'm happy with it. That's excellent to hear. I like it when there is a happy story. 
All right, Kevin, thank you for taking the time out of your day. I hope that your water gets treated rapidly and that you don't have to buy bottled water in the future. In the meantime, it sounds like you're happy with the response that you're getting from your elected local officials and your government. I am content with the response to this point. Thank you very much. Oh, sh- I got all the way back to Wisconsin, went through editing all my audio, and I realized that I had forgotten to ask Kevin a very important question. Damn the gin and tonics. Well, there was nothing left for it except to call Kevin back. He graciously accepted my call, and I was able to put the question to him. Well, ask away. Okay. Before these events occurred, did you ever think much about groundwater? I thought about the lack of groundwater. I thought about mainly downstream from us because there had been some occasions where Colorado Springs Utilities released some untreated water and it was on its way down the Pueblo or at least the farming communities south of here. So that's as far as I really thought about it. And did you consider the environmental context of the house that you were buying? I'm guessing you probably checked the water pressure, but did you think much about where the water came from and how it got to your house? Well, not any further than I know that they used wells here. And my assumption, as probably most people think, is if they're letting us drink it, then it's fine. Right. So probably not too much on your mind until it becomes a problem. Exactly. That's true. And then you also heard that they just got to 100% using the Pueblo Reservoir? Yeah. They sent out notifications on the web and then paper letting us know that's where our water is coming from is the Southern Delivery System, which is essentially the reservoir. So you're not drinking bottled water anymore? No, I'm still filtering it, but I have no idea whether my filter actually would filter out the known contaminants or not. Makes me feel better, though. Okay. And you also heard that the Air Force managed to do a big spill of PFC-contaminated water that they'd pulled out, didn't they? That made headlines out here. You mean the latest spill that happened? Yeah, I heard about it. I certainly did. That it didn't affect you, right? Not directly, at least not this time. Yeah. Well, hopefully things stay that way and you don't have to drink bottled water and you keep drinking gin and tonics. (laughs) That's a good solution no matter what. (laughs) All right, thanks. You're welcome. Well, I'm glad things turned out well for Mr. Waybright. But you're probably asking, how in blazes did a city switch its entire water supply in a matter of months? That's a really good question, and that's what we're going to find out in the next episode. We shall speak then. This has been a production of the University of Wisconsin Water Resources Institute. This is Dr. Chris. Till next time, thanks for listening.